As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you, Why mad? you mad? Hey, Gabe. What's going on, Louisa? Yes, this is, uh, by the way, anyone listening, this is a unique episode of Halal Cartels. Gabe Pacheco here, and you may have heard right off the bat, the one and only Luisa Diaz. Yeah, hi everybody, welcome to Why You Mad. Um, This is a special crossover episode because Jake is on tour, as usual, Uh, but we wanted to come back and give you some content, so... We've got Gabe Pacheco here, who's been on the show, but a long, long time ago. Yeah, last time have... I was on the show, we yeah. talked about Pump Up the Volume. Oh, that was a good one. I yeah. love that movie. My favorite Christian Slater banger from the 80s. Yeah, that was a fantastic one. Great job. With... See, oh, you're so romantic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for all the halal cartel heads out there, um, my uh, my people, you have heard Luisa Diaz on one of our most popular episodes, uh, what was sex better under Stalin? Oh, nice. Yes, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is kind of like a like a MCU uh, mashup where we've got we've got half of both of our podcast teams here. Uh, Samir, of course, will be on the next episode. But, um, you know, we're I'm traveling. Right. Jake's out of yeah. town right now for you. And I'm going to be traveling for about two and a half weeks. Touring uh, as well. Yeah. yeah. Seattle, Portland, uh, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. Ooh, so where should everybody look that up? I'm used to saying check Jake's pin tweet <laughs> for those tour dates. Where can people find those dates, Gabe? <laughs> you guys have to follow me on my Instagram, which is GabePack1, G-A-B-E-P-A-C one i love that look at us doing fucking plugs right up top we're sure. so efficient i fucking <laughs> love that shit what were what was i worried about this is great um so i guess i'm gonna throw it to you first so we don't start with any like mad stuff because i'm gonna get mad naturally um <laughs> well i have no reason to be mad because we uh together the two of us went and we had a lovely evening in New York City. We were in the West Village, and uh, we first we went out to go eat at a French restaurant, sort yeah. of to, to uh, remind ourselves, I guess, of the sojourn that we had in Paris. People are going to hate this. They're going to be like, these fucking braggart fucking assholes. <laughs> Listen, man, we didn't tell you to have kids. No, I'm just kidding. No. Uh, it was really great, but um, I guess... Part of the reason that I wanted to have this conversation, I was going to say that I wanted to have you on the show, Gabe, (laughs) is that um, we do always have really good combos about the stuff that we watch, um, whether we watch it together or we tell each other about stuff that's related, you know. Um, So this is a really interesting evening because we went to see Colin Quinn's show, Small Talk. Yeah, and uh, and uh, yeah. you've jokingly said in the past that Colin Quinn is your your husband, perhaps ex husband, ex husband, perhaps con- continues to be um, mm-hmm. spiritually like on the wedding license. And yeah, you, yeah, you haven't quite divorced him yet. Uh, but well, you let live me your life like you're single, even yeah. though you're Colin's. Let me let wife. me just explain, okay? I always like the idea of being divorced. <laughs> Like uh, having an ex-husband and being like, ah, yeah, my ex, what a dick, (laughs) you know, like whatever, that kind of thing. Or like still being cool with him and then just constantly referring to him, which is really funny to me. So I have been telling people like casually in passing, not like as a real lie, (laughs) that Colin Quinn is my ex-husband since I was like 19 years old. Right, right. Because he's like, was he your intro to stand up as like uh, one of the first guys that you, mm, whose uh, career you followed? I don't think so. No, because I, I saw a lot of the old ones in like um, syndication when they would sp- put specials like back to back in the middle of the night, you know? So to me, I think I probably first saw Colin actually, oh, I saw his like half hours and stuff like that. But then I got to fall in love with him on SNL, which... Yeah. SNL, you know, in my opinion, is a show for teenagers and old people, (laughs) for like the people that stay home on Saturday night to watch SNL. Uh, So when I was a teenager, Colin Quinn was doing the fucking uh, news desk. Remember? I remember when he dressed up like a lion on SNL. Oh, and he was so bad at the news desk. It was so funny. (laughs) It was like the funniest thing I ever saw in my life. And the thing is, like, he's very... um, 
working class in his speech. He's very Brooklyn, Irish, Irish Catholic. Like, I don't know. Um, having like been Colombian and having English not be my first language and moving to Miami and then growing up around Cubans and a bunch of people who also didn't have English as their first language. Colin's accent and point of view and demeanor was just like, I was like, I love him. I could see me marrying him and divorcing him immediately, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, he's like way older. Well, not way older than me. If you hear this, Colin, you're very handsome still. You look great. Um, but it's just a joke. I just love him. But I also think um, maybe out of the whole SNL cast of my time and out of a lot of the stand-ups that I saw when I was a teenager and like in my early 20s, he does have that more like working class Catholic, but sensitivity where he's like, oh, he reminds me of my uncle and this is cool. And we all get along like sort of like an Irish Catholic Ron White, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 But then at the same time, he does like push it a little bit like. He he's like he pushes people slightly past their comfort zone, but then he's like, oh, oh, I don't know, you know what it is, I don't know, and he like brings it back with something real corny, <laughs> you know. And I guess he has been a barometer to me of um, stand up that is not trying to offend anyone and that is not trying to change the world. It's just trying to be good stand up. He never comes off as angry. Yeah. And uh, he also, it's so interesting that he was on SNL because uh, looking at him, I never think of him as a theatrical, uh, obviously he's been in movies and acted, but he doesn't come off as like a theater kid who uh, who came out of like a second city Not at uh, all. farm. And he it doesn't seem like he was plucked by Lauren Michaels because he did characters. Yeah. Like he just has this charisma, like said, this working class, yeah. like, uh, like man on the street. New Yorker, yeah, who might have like a a paper a Greek coffee cup in his hand, yeah, Uh just showing up, totally. uh, And while also having sort of the work ethic, I would say, you know, because it seems like he shows up, uh, people enjoy working with him. He sobered up pretty early in life. He, um, which is not to say everybody has to, but if it becomes a problem for you and you do it early take care of it early on in life, it's probably better for you than not, you know? Um, So he was like productive and he isn't and hasn't just been productive. You know what? Here's the main thing. He never really sold out. And I don't know if it's because he's like, oh, he wasn't hot enough or he wasn't like a great enough actor to sell out and only do that. And I don't mean to say like a Jamie Foxx sold out or anything like that, but I mean like, Move on to something more profitable, right? Remove the word sold out and let's say move on from stand-up to something more profitable. Well, so so many people think about him, uh, and I do, from a yeah. uh, tough crowd, you know? Yeah. Which I don't know how popular tough crowd was yeah. uh, in its time. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't watch it because I didn't have cable. Yeah. But I remember, uh, I think of all of the comedians that are my peers who who were like, I was raised on tough crowd. I watched that. And I tough, did, yeah. Tough crowd was like the original podcast. Totally. Before podcasts totally because it was bringing on comics some which you knew and some which you were like who the fuck is this guy (laughs) and then they are just like fight to the death about the dumbest shit (laughs) and And they're all just busting balls (laughs) so it's like the the pre um you know now people think about the seller the the seller table tables and this was a tv show that was that exactly yeah totally and uh, for me um at a pretty formative age i guess like college and stuff it was I got to see, oof, um, I think because of Tough Crowd, I got to see more of Greg Giraldo. And Greg Giraldo really uh, touched my heart because he was like Colombian, first generation American, overachiever, you know, who became a lawyer because he was supposed to be like the family savior. So he got married and he did everything he was supposed to. And then that shit crushed him <laughs> and he couldn't handle it and he died. Um so he was like my fucking, what do you call it? Like warning, <laughs> you know, like cautionary tale. Cautionary tale. Like yes. What will happen if you go to law school? Exactly. Louisa? Yes. What will happen? I will you... implode and yeah. die. Yeah, exactly. So um, to bring it back to Colin, um, I think what I have seen in him in like over, I was going to say 30 years, but I guess I've, let's say I have known Colin since I was like 17. That's like, 
25 years, right? Yeah. And I don't mean like met the person. I mean like the performances, right? The performer. Sure. Um, I see a person who has always enjoyed what he's doing and continues to try to do it well and to find new um, goals for himself of like new topics to try, new material to write, new places to perform in. Um, he's, he's not ever just like, uh, I'm already famous and I'm going to try to do whatever theaters and then just do the same kind of show and whatever. He just doesn't seem to be in it for being famous. He seems to be in it for being as good as he can at comedy. Is that weird? Do you think that's wrong? No, that's uh, you know, yeah. we talked a little bit before about like um being an Olympic athlete yeah. versus being a professional athlete. Exactly. And um, in some ways, obviously, he is a successful professional, mm -hmm. but there is something about it that's, uh, yeah, I'm just doing it for the love. What's the new topic? Let's hammer out this new topic. Yeah, totally. And um, this is the first one of his one man shows that I saw. That you've seen? Yeah, okay. Yeah. This is maybe the third or fourth I've seen. Mm. Mm, but this is, I think, the earliest I've ever seen one because this was on the first night of the run. Uh, and I think the last few I've seen have been close to the end. So they've been pretty finished. And then I've watched them like when they came out on Netflix or whatever to see how different they were from the version I saw. And usually the versions I saw were very finished. This one, it wasn't. It was pretty raw. Uh, he's a consummate professional, right? That's how you say that. <laughs> uh, so he started very strong. He did my favorite thing on earth, which is when a comic just walks on stage and just starts his jokes, their jokes, not. Um, How's everybody doing? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm like, you don't need to soften anyone up. Like, unless you're hosting a show. Yeah. If you're hosting a show, that's your fucking job. <laughs> Number one job is to soften up the audience, address the fucking assholes, banter, do all the fucking shit to get the room to pay attention to the comics. But. If you're here to perform, I love it when you just walk out and you're just like, boom, set up. <laughs> you know, like, here's what I have to fucking say. Um, so he did that and he finished very strong. But uh, because it was rough, you know, there were rough patches of like where he uh, used um, vocal tics quite often, right? Um, phrases that he falls back on, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Which I do too. Why you mad listeners? Absolutely no. So that's why I know it was just like rough. And then he has points, Gabe, where even I, as a lover of Colin Quinn, well, one thing is uh, you remarked upon the age of his audience. So, <laughs> you know, there it is mixed. There are young people there, but there are also old people there. And I think that's very different for especially those of us who mostly go to alt shows and like young comic shows and that kind of thing. It's different to see a comic that has a good 50% or more over 50 audience. People with who are in their like last five years of employment. Yeah. On their, on their exactly. counting down the days to get yeah. their government pensions. Yeah, yeah. And who are dressed nice and who probably drove here, <laughs> which is in, in Manhattan. That's weird. Uh, and that kind of stuff, you know. So um, I found that there were jokes. You know, I think I specifically pointed out to you something he said about Ukraine. And even the way he spoke about Ukraine, like calling it the Ukraine is an old person thing. <laughs> you know, Uh and also his like joke about Ukraine was extremely liberal for my taste. And I personally, from watching him for so long, do think that he is more left than his comedy would tell you. Yeah. But it's because of this thing that we were talking about where he, I don't think, sees his comedy and his platform as a platform for him to talk about his personal beliefs. He thinks his job is to put on a good show for an audience. So he f tries to negotiate a way in which he can serve up a menu that this audience is going to enjoy, but will still sort of push the, the their palate slightly farther out of their comfort zone than normal, while yeah. not getting anybody to fucking puke or write a horrible review <laughs> or walk out angrily, you know what I mean? And that's... It's admirable because I do hate one of my biggest pet peeves is when a comic turns on the room as though the room exists for him to do his art. 
right? As opposed to you exist to perform for this room. So uh, one of the most clever things he did, yeah. he, he, you're, uh, it's, I want to say he's like playing. It's not that he's playing to the center and yeah. it's not that he's playing to both sides, but that he's expanding. Uh, if the audience is more conservative, he's expanding their palette to yeah. uh, empathize with some more left lefty or progressive ideas. Yeah. Um, but uh, one thing I noticed was like he is an older white man on stage who performs at a lot of the mainstream clubs in the city. Yeah. And yet, uh, and his peer group does this way too much. He was able to talk about um, online vitriol mm-hmm. without once acting like he was a victim of cancel culture. He never said the phrase cancel culture in like an hour and a half. And that was like, right. He should get a fucking award for that. <laughs> yeah. Being in like his network yeah. of, uh, of people. Yeah. Like, Kid, we've seen, look, I'm not going to name any names because we don't need any of this vitriol on our podcast <laughs> in 2023. But we know young comics, our age or younger, who because of their proximity to that same circle, start to go slightly right wing in their ideas and in their comedy or worry about getting canceled or yeah, talk about it or exactly. joke about it. Like, Oh my gosh, I might get canceled. What? Oh, oh my God. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm just gonna, I just want to say what I want to say. Nobody gives a fuck, honey. Yeah. <laughs> and he, and for this older man to like go up there and not uh, mock people for being like a uh, non-binary, like to, he at no point was like, I don't get it. I don't get non-binary. He stuff. never I'm brought up founded, flummoxed or confused he never brought up uh, pronouns <laughs> you know and it's not that we have a low bar it's that i just want to prove to people that they don't have to go this way that you know uh so colin does have a joke that he says in this show um where he says that he recognizes that he is the nice guy amongst the assholes and an asshole amongst the nice people <laughs> you know and like he doesn't say this, but to me, I'm like, oh, he means comics <laughs> because I'm like, yeah, like in that network, he's the only one not taking on this language and this victimhood shit. Mm-hmm. So he's like the nice one still trying to understand young people. He. uh Oh, we should talk about this. I mean, whatever. Is this all spoilers? I don't know. But I just want to say in a rough show that is just like very new. Yeah, and it was like an hour and a half long. So even if we do yeah. spoil, uh, like some a joke, shit might not even be there anymore. Yeah. yeah, but that fucking chunk thing that he did of Shakespeare talking in memes or whatever. <laughs> yeah, like you can tell that yeah. he's, he's been scrolling through that Instagram. he's a fucking super online guy like us. Yeah, yeah, he's got the Twitter lingo down. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, there were parts of his act that felt real Carlin esque. And yeah. uh, poetic in in a fantastic yeah. way, and reminded me of like what the greats yeah. are able to do, where it blends into poetry. Yeah, you know. Uh, so he was able to do that in this very conversational tone. Um, another thing is that it, so being an older person, uh, he's like he's older, and he every older comic, I think, can and mine uh, nostalgia. You can mine nostalgia in a way that isn't get off my lawn. Totally. And uh, one thing uh, I was thinking about this, Chuck Cloisterman has a book uh, called The 90s. And I've talked about it on uh, Halal Cartels before. But sort of this idea that in the past, you we were our phones, for example, were uh, in the house. So I would I would be staked like a dog is staked and chained to a location. You we would all be. um staked geographically to our voicemails and to our phones if you weren't home and the phone rang well then you missed it yeah but if the phone rang and you were home you picked it up no matter what yeah so all of us were trained in how to talk to whoever was on the other end of the line yeah we even in your home life when you're yeah when you're cozy you might get a salesman at 8 p.m or you might have to talk to your aunt who you have you have a dysfunctional relationship with because they called and you didn't have call the landline, right? Yeah. And um, part of his, or uh, even because your parents would be like, "You pick it up, 
Tell her we're not home. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. Uh, my parents taught me how to lie. Yeah, I learned how to lie exactly. from being the secretary for my parents. Exactly. You were like, when you were like seven years old, you had to yeah. you had to just tell adults and authority figures, no, they're not Total here. lies, right to their faces. <laughs> Full blown yeah. lies. And then you'd look over at the table and your parents would, would be, be like, like, nice pan- job. <laughs> pantomiming to you, like, yeah. like uh, wrap it up or like, no estoy aquí. <laughs> <laughs> or you'd be yeah, like, we've been I, there. I'd be like, oh, Lu- oh yeah, Lupe, you want to talk to Lupe? And my dad'd be like, who is it? And I'd yeah. be like, oh, it's Tony. And I'd be like, Tony's calling. And he'd be like, no, um, I'm not here. <laughs> yeah, he's not here. That's <laughs> like, <laughs> super obvious. Tony, Tony from work would be like, I feel like I heard him in the background whisper, I'm not here. <laughs> like, no, he's he's definitely not. That was uh that was the electrician that's in the house at 8 p.m. Correct. In Lupe's defense, you can't be a become a good liar if you don't get thrown some hardballs. You That's know what right. I mean? Yeah. You know, you know so, what I'm saying? Exactly. So yeah. it was like a lying Olympics for me. Yeah. Where I just learned how to be flexible. <laughs> yeah. Um. So w- why I bring that up though is like there were times where uh, Colin did talk about how uh, social norms are different, and the whole theme of the show is small talk. Yeah. Right. And so now, uh, so many people. Don't engage in small talk because mm-hmm. we've got earbuds in because we have our yeah. phones in our hands and uh, you don't necessarily say hi to everybody on the street. Yeah. Whereas like we used to. And there's a way. No, to and there's about- a whole generation of children that because of the pandemic, they just like w- have only been in Zoom classes and they don't associate with other kids. They don't like commute to school. <laughs> you know, yeah. they don't have any of these interactions. Um, so yeah, what you were saying. So we don't, we basically like, uh, even though we're so much more connected and we have so much more information, we don't actually form community anymore with each other, uh, because we are able to self-select who we talk to rather than engage with the actual uh, population in front of us. Yeah. Um, and that actually makes me think about another movie that we saw together and we'll Mm -hmm. go back to the Colin thing, but we also went and we saw Megan in the movie theater (laughs) Yeah. and, um, whether or not uh, you like Megan, I don't want to spoil too much of it, but because it's brand new. But one aspect of it is what happens when you create a toy for a child um, and that toy can uh, actually adapt to the personality of its owner. Right. And that, that toy can reflect back to you um, all of the things you need to feel psychologically comfortable. So you never actually, so now we have toys that become a hall of mirrors that just reflect back to us ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to step outside of um, that comfortable cocoon that is just the world that we've curated and created. Right. That was my feeling about Megan. I mean, I agree. I just, I don't want to ruin it for anyone. Go see it. I think we could do a whole fucking other episode about Megan. But even though I loved it, I mean, I don't see, I guess I don't pick up the connection with uh, the Colin show. Well, okay. Uh, we'll get, I'll, Maybe I'll, there try wasn't it, any. I'll tie it in. But tell me. Um, one thing I like about traveling with you yeah. or interacting in public with you or watching you on Twitter oh, is Lord. before you locked your account, the fact that when people would, um, strangers would yeah. comment at you. Mm-hmm. you would be able to engage so them mad. without oh. collapsing <laughs> like a yeah. house of cards. Oh, okay. You were so um, comfortable and open with uh, the, like the street. Being, yeah. Be, like like using being in the public square. So you are actually in the public square. Yeah. So that's how you would act on Twitter. But then it, when we're in like an airport, yeah, there's just like old people who are like uh, slowing us down yeah. and <laughs> holding up the whole line. You're able to like, Navigate them. Yeah. <laughs> convince the uh the people who work at the gate that you're in first class or club <laughs> when we're clearly Why are uh, you outing me as a scumbag? In group five. <laughs> <laughs> you're outing me as a scumbag right now. But all of these scumbag these are scumbag things today yeah. because people don't take initiative and it's all culturally relative. Mm-hmm. Like if we were in Nigeria, you would not be a scumbag. You would actually be, be uh for pr- like top, making top things. of the <laughs> fucking food chain. Yeah. <laughs> You're moving, you're moving um, the flow of humanity forward. Oh my God. TSA agents love me, Gabe. They fucking love me because they don't have to do it because I get mad and I will tell the old lady in front of me, there are five lines. 
you can move ahead. But it's almost like two th- pre-2010 <laughs> yeah. skills uh-huh. that uh, to be an advocate for yourself. Yeah. Right? So. Um, totally. You're and right. And this is how it ties back to Colin's show because Colin was uh, talking about how so a lot, some children have an absence of small talk skills. Yeah. And all of the social training that you get for actually how to be in the world, you get from school or you get from the commute from your house to school or from chatting with people on an elevator. And you totally. we lose those when every um, every time somebody addresses you in public, it's like uh, an a, tr- attack. A, a trigger warning is <laughs> yeah. needed. It's an attack. You might yeah. have a trauma response. Yeah, uh, we're all autistic now, and like exactly. we're we, we all, we're all on the make, spectrum. We yeah, and like... I'm not. I don't think any of these things are. Um, I'm not attacking uh, neurodivergent um, behaviors, but I do feel like. Uh, but we're you, losing we... some of the skills that would help us deal with our neurodivergency because the reality is like uh, this the the up the upcome I don't know what do you call it uh, the rise of this neurodivergency awareness I guess. Is good overall because the reality is science has always known all fucking brains are different. That's right. Always. Like never. It's only normal. There is no normal when it comes to (laughs) brains. Yeah. And, you know, this whole idea of like being on a personality spectrum, there is a gender spectrum, a sexuality spectrum, a relationship type spectrum. Like everything is a neuroplasticity and gender fluidity. Exactly. So. Uh, I have friends who are OCD, yeah, and uh, comedians who are OCD. You talk about it on stage, yeah. They talk a little bit about how their therapist would have them uh, do, I think, exposure therapy, mm-hmm. right? So, okay, if I, every time I feel I think I'm on the subway that it's teeming with yeah. germs, some of the aversion therapy or not aversion, um, what uh, what is it? Uh, exposure. Exposure therapy. would be like, yeah. all right, I'm gonna make sure I touch the, the thing that scares pole. me. Yeah, <laughs> like. Well, to be honest with you, maybe like, okay, I think a little bit like the example you gave, my scumbag behaviors at airports, (laughs) um, is more about my my comfort with conflict. But I think that's sort of like an advanced small talk, right? Where um, you can't really get too comfortable with conflict until you understand small talk. Because small talk is how to make people comfortable with you. Right. And so, and you might bomb in small talk a couple yeah, times, but who cares? But who cares? <laughs> but like, uh, you know, Colin made a funny joke where he said, "I mean, whatever. Don't I'm not. Don't quote me if you don't think it's funny. Just go watch the show." But he makes a point where he says something like, uh, "It used to be that even adults made." made small talk with you as a kid like you would go to the fucking butcher to the market or whatever and the grown-ass man would be like what's up with you kid you working hard you got a girlfriend (laughs) you know and they would like banter with you so a fucking seven-year-old kid had to learn how to banter with the fucking butcher at the market yeah your parents aren't gonna help you. they're not gonna help you 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 gotta talk to this guy yeah um, their uh, apron (laughs) yeah oh yeah so uh, a couple things about this but one is like i was working at this art lab for little kids uh at a museum in the city it was the moma no big deal yeah but um you know the well for a while i wasn't saying it because i was like how am i gonna get fired but i'm not working there so yeah but i was there and um it would be interesting i think a tragedy of families is that parents rarely actually get to see their children as autonomous individuals they see their children That's true, it's dependent. as they project their ch- onto their children this idea of like the uh, a dependent mm-hmm. or um, they freeze them in time. So like yeah. when I go back home now, even and I'm with my brother and sister, yeah. we all regress into family dynamics. Little babies again. Unless yeah. you actively choose to not be that, those patterns. Of course. Yeah. So in the same way, it's like uh, a lot of kids don't see their parents as humans, as as people. They see them as authority figures up well into their own adulthood yeah so um because this tragedy exists uh this illusion that we have a hard time breaking through when i would have the kids with me um their parents had to be in the lab and they would at first the kid would be shy to say anything and then i'd say okay i'm gonna give a tour and i would lead the tour but i would lead the kid and the parent would uh the parent would shadow right behind and within like their five workstations, but I would basically open the kid up by like station two and it would be, 
And then by the time I was done with the spiel, there was like a 15 minute little spiel of all the stations. The parents would all like, their eyes would be, they would be elated because they yeah. would have seen an adult interact with their child. As, a, an as an individual. As a person, yeah. Right? And be like, cool, you, are we going to do this? What are you going to do? How about that? Okay. And it would be um, it would be a range of, all right, uh, put your hand up. Put your hand down. Look up there. Oh, wow, isn't that great? Okay, so now make make a make a display here. At this display, make an image that's, maybe it's a house. Maybe it's a robot. Maybe But it's basically a it's pack. like a rarely seen for them interaction where they interact with an adult successfully and they don't see this often because they don't really give them the opportunity. That's right. To do this often. And beca- and, and it's a sandbox, this yeah. lab, this art lab. So after I give it the spiel, it really is up to the kids to choose how they want to what they want to do whereas yeah. in, a, in a classroom it might be like here's the project and all 30 kids are doing the exact same project yeah. and it's competitively graded based on because we're a hierarchy and it's like which yeah. of you is the best <laughs> here it's it's they all are wandering around working at their own pace at the things that they love mm-hmm. and often the parents don't even know what those things are until a third party asks uh the kid like well what is your favorite animal Right yeah. or no? I don't even ask what's your favorite because there's too much pressure there. <laughs> I just say, hey, what's the animal you like right now? <laughs> right now, this second. <laughs> yeah, because then what are you no... into? What are you into right now? Yeah. yeah, what are you into right now? It's like who fucking cares what your favorite color is? Yeah, nobody. Who cares what your favorite anything is? Yeah, just what are you interested? Well, because that in implies right forever. Now? Yeah, like that you just you decided this is your forever. Yeah, uh, you're right. <laughs> well, okay, so so all I'm saying is oh, I, yeah. that's a small talk do- dojo. Okay. Put them through. Interesting. Yeah. No, I like that. Well, I mean, but that's also what school is in in general. I mean, there's other shit that you're learning, but you're also learning how to interact with fucking people, how to small talk with teachers, how to fucking small talk with the janitor and the and the cafeteria ladies, right? And yeah. like get in there and get and a the good slice guards. of pizza. Yeah. Exactly. You know, Caesar's exactly. out front. He's got a gambling problem, but he's cool. Yeah. But okay. So we can, not to cut you off, but I want to go back to something because what was really interesting to me about some of the things that we consumed this week, not regarding French food, <laughs> is I keep thinking back to uh, Colin's show compared to The Menu, right? The movie, The Menu, that is yeah. on HBO Max now. Um, oof, This might be, spoiler alert, you should probably watch it. We might say stuff. I'm going to try not to, but we might say stuff. Honestly, uh, Halal Cartels is spoiler-rific. So is Why You Mad, you know? So, so everybody can deal. We'll put it in the descriptions. So here's the thing of why I keep thinking of them as these, uh, the two sides to a single coin, okay? Because Colin, as we were discussing, is sort of a an example of a successful artist right i don't i guess sort of is not appropriate there he is an example of a successful he's a legend he's respected by his peers he has fans of all ages he uh almost every year has a new show uh that is like at least an hour while still working doing like regular short sets at the cellar um some of us get him to do other shows sometimes <laughs> so i think he's also doing other shows sometimes he also plays clubs around the country and stuff like that yeah um but as i said with this these shows because the the one before there was one that was like about red and blue states and there was one that was about 9-11 i want to say and so he does tend to deal with very um monocultural topics he has this like i guess old school version of comedy where if we now acknowledge that like all the new young comics they are hyper individualists who are out here talking about themselves and their experiences and their identities and everything through their lens i don't think that they're aware (laughs) maybe that comedy used to be something that was like an attempt to find the commonality between everyone in culture And yes, unfortunately, the critique here is that that meant very often that it was very white, but it doesn't have to be the case, right? So let's just put that critique to the side for a second. Yeah. When talking about Colin's shows and this last show in particular, when I was 
criticizing and saying like there were Ukraine views that I didn't like and things that I thought were too liberal for my particular uh, political taste, I had to simultaneously recognize that what he was doing was, like I said earlier, the right thing, which was not polarizing his audience, not choosing to put his views on anyone else at the expense of his comedy, but choosing to serve the room, to play his role by serving up a menu of like delectable morsels that everyone could eat. Some of them, which would, which had surprising flavors. Some were gluten-free. Yeah, some were like a bubble that had smoke. Some were red, <laughs> right? some, there yeah. was some red meat. Exactly. And it's okay if you're vegan because there's going to be some vegan. We'll pass on that if you don't like it. Exactly. But it was all highly palatable and like acceptable to his audience, right? And therefore successful and everyone left there clapping. This is great. And he, he seems like a great chef at the end because he gave us what we want of Colin, but also pushed us a little bit further than the Colin you expected. And then we look at this movie, The Menu, which stars Ralph Fiennes as a chef. And he's like supposed to be like, I guess like a Michelin star rated, one of the best chefs in the world. He runs a restaurant that is on an island somewhere where you have to take a ferry to get to this island. It costs a, approximately $1,200 per person to sit there, I think somebody says in the movie. And, and reservations are like six months Yeah, ahead. to a year, yeah, yeah, like way ahead. And so he's like an artist chef, you know what I mean? And we see a bunch of people get on the ferry to go to the dinner that night. And when they get there, they are served a very specific dinner, a specific menu. That's why the movie's called The Menu. But The Menu is, well, the invite list is very specifically representative of all of the people who made this artist's life not fulfilling. And then the menu that he presents is sort of an attack on all of them because they didn't appreciate his art the right way. (laughs) <laughs> and the world doesn't deserve it, right? Yeah. And so it is like the ultimate version of turning on the room. He literally blows up his critics, um, his fin- financiers, however you say that, right? Uh, his fan, his like the mm-hmm. ultimate Punisher fan that loves him so much that he knows everything and he's obsessed with him and whatever. And uh, his mother, his own mother, because he recognizes how... His, his own unaddressed problems with his parents led him to be this type of artist, right? So he just blows everybody the fuck up and is like, this is the final dinner, this is the final menu. That's what this fucking movie's about. Yeah. So it is the opposite of a Colin Quinn. Easy. Ralph Finney's in, in the <laughs> yeah. menu is is not is the anti-Colin Quinn. So yeah. I, I loved uh, the menu and it was, first off, when they get on the boat, uh, I thought, this reminded me of um like knives out or glass onion right at the beginning because you just see a bunch of incredibly rich people people get on this boat and then when they get to the island you kind of know you start feeling this suspense or dread when they get off the boat on this island which is called hawthorne and the island is 12 acres and on the island it is a, a biome where all of the ingredients for the food uh, are grown, harvested, or exist. So all of the fungi, all of the bacteria, all of the seafood, the scallops are fished right off the coast. All of the herbs are grown there. And that the, day. The meat is smoked yeah. and aged there in yeah. little um, uh, areas. So so if you're like a foodie, you know, this seems like, oh man, everything, it's like a perfectly hermetically sealed. Um, Listen, but there's assholes that go to the cellar with that attitude. <laughs> we're like, <laughs> I came here from fucking, I don't know where the fucking Wisconsin, a little stand up. I got to go to the comedy cellar. <laughs> about the cellar. Yeah. And then they stand outside and wait for the comics to be out there and fucking talk their ears off. Yeah. That's who this guy was. So Hawthorne, Hawthorne <laughs> yeah. is the cellar. Yeah. And, uh, and then you see all the people on the boat. And like I said, it reminded me of these other movies because I thought, oh, is this going to be like a murder mystery? Am I going to have to figure Mm -hmm. out who the culprit is on this boat? Why are all these people here? And like to your point, um, every uh, there's I think it's five different parties of people. Yeah. But let's talk about them. You've got exactly (laughs) each, each party represents something terrible. 
be, um, well, like an anchor around an artist's neck. Yeah, I so guess. they're they're all corrupting yeah. this artist. Yeah, in, in a way, because Ralph Fiennes is make he wants to make these uh, incredibly unique dishes that all have a story. Yeah. All of his dishes are imbued with a story. He's part yeah. preacher, part philosopher, performance artist. Yeah, yeah. Because between every meal or every they do dish, a little speech. Yeah, mm-hmm. and. So you're like, who are these different groups? Um, and one of them is like, well, well let's start with like the three. There's hold on, I wrote them down because yeah. um, it's important. I think I think maybe the, the order, first the sequence might be important too for our menu. It's not that the sequence is important, but it does. It, I might not get it exactly right, but here's the ones that I wrote down, and let's see if I missed any. Yeah. The critics, right? So yes. one table is literally um, a critic, a woman who writes reviews of restaurants and chefs, and her editor at a food magazine. So that one, that first table is the critics. Then the second table is the finance bros. Three of them. Three of them who are like young, make a lot of money off the finance sector, but they're not even that important themselves. But it, it's like a status symbol that they can pay to eat at this restaurant. They're like the junior executives in Mad Men. Yes. So they represent the douchebaggery that can afford this art just because they have enough money for it. Fintech bros. But they do not deserve it. They're <laughs> yes. like when we were walking through the West Village and I would just yeah. see uh, 35-year-old dudes with skin fades and bubble gooses and a 12-pack of Molson ice mm-hmm. uh, going into these brownstones. Mm-hmm. And it's like awesome. You're absolutely you're who can afford to live here. Great. There's a table with his mother. Yes. Which you could just say is the parent table. So for every artist, um, I would say that there is a relationship. Some of you are lucky enough to have positive, a positive relationship with your parents that encouraged you to be little clowns and stuff like that. <laughs> but others, the that table is a negative table yes. where you you get it. We don't have to get get into that. Yeah. Um, and then we have the uh, fan. Well, let, before we get to the fan, we also have the artist he loathes. Played right? by John Leguizamo. John Leguizamo. I love in this movie. Which I loved because you're watching and you're going like, why does he? So why is John Leguizamo bad? And it's like <laughs> literally... Just because he plays an actor who made a really shitty movie that the chef guy on one of his rare days off went to the movies by himself and he watched this movie and he fucking hated it so much that he has never been able to forget how much he wasted his day off watching this piece of shit movie. I feel that way. I and he fucking understand. invited this motherfucker to this final dinner so yes. he could die just because he's an artist I hate. <laughs> I, that's how you all are. <laughs> and it is, uh, uh, I really like that point. Um, well, yeah. I think it's also, it's it's more than that. We'll start with the fact that it is a waste of time. Like yeah. I hate brain numbing comedy. I also yeah. don't like uh, um, stand up where the delivery is so slow yeah. and methodical, but it can it can work in some cases, yeah. like a Hannibal Burris, it works. Yeah. But when somebody leads me down this shaggy dog story, and then there's nothing at the super end, super slow, and yeah. there's nothing at the end, and you just brain numb me yeah. and wasted five minutes of my life, I think I'm that mad. is five minutes I won't get back. <laughs> so that's on one level, but on another level, I think that it also he was a mirror to uh, Ralph Fiennes' chef, where Ralph Fiennes, as the chef was feeling like uh, like a lack of love and passion for what for he was his doing. own art and then w- it, when he saw some another artist manifest that by making a movie where it was, he was shitty. just walking through the steps oof but here's the thing though if you recall here's something that we know for a fact from this movie Ralph Fine's character seems to be eternally miserable no matter how much success he gets right cuz he's Presumably at the top of the chef game mm-hmm. from what we're seeing. And he literally wants to kill everyone and he wants to die. John Leguizamo, <laughs> his character, the actor, he said to his assistant when they were reminded because the tortillas came and they were scenes from that movie. Tortillas. Yeah. So it Delicious. was <laughs> Yeah. So it was like a hint that this is why I hate you, right? It's because right. of the shitty movie. He was like, Oh man, you remember that? And he tells her he's like, oh, it was a, 
it was a bad movie and the director didn't know what he was doing. But man, what a fun shoot. I had such a great time. So he actually fucking represents the <laughs> Kevin Smith of art where it's like, yo, it didn't come out great, but I love doing it. It was for the enjoyment Dude, and it I was think- wonderful. And so I would actually pitch to you that it was Ralph Fiennes hating it because he enjoyed making something so horrible. <laughs> because his taste was so bad. He's yeah. Like, it'd be like if he was a chef who just loved making yeah. craft mac and cheese. Exactly. And be like, I'll put a little chili powder in it. And then he'd be like, why is he so happy making craft mac and cheese? I hate this motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's like uh, from Bojack. He's like the Mr. Buttersworth. Exactly. Little dog that's so happy Too dumb. all the time. Yeah, exactly. Too dumb to oh, know. But, you know, a side note on that is I, I watch so many, like, we both do, but like gory yeah. horror movies and... I see people who I watch these movies with go, oh, these movies feel so, uh, they're so terrible. They're so disturbing. And yeah. I think, man, if you watch the behind the scenes, everyone on this set was laughing. Mm-hmm. Right? The yeah. gorier or more disturbing the scene is. Yeah. Often the crew is just really into it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, oh, wow, we had to make five, having a great time. Five gallons of blood. We had to make a prosthetic totally. head to get cut off. And, that, and that's honestly why I would tell you, OK, I think the last table is very interesting, which we're getting yeah. to. But I think the John Leguizamo table is one of the most interesting. Like, I think the first three are very predictable. Mm-hmm. We all understand you artists have a, a contentious relationship with your critics. Uh, we understand you have a contentious relationship with capitalism and the people that finance your art. And we understand you have a contentious relationship with your parents, the people who have opinions on what you're doing with your life and your creativity and whatever. But the last two tables are the most interesting to me. Yeah. The first, second to last being John Leguizamo's table as the representation both of like bad art, (laughs) but also of like an artist who enjoys doing what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it like brings into question the whole idea of like, If your job is to make the best art possible, but you don't enjoy doing that every single day, then why are you you doing this? You know what I mean? Which brings us back to Colin and his like finding that middle ground where he's actually doing his art without like enjoying it or no with enjoying it, Mm -hmm. but without selling out to those financers who want a specific product. Like for example, Netflix gave me $5 billion to do six specials in three years. (laughs) Dave Chappelle, (laughs) that kind of thing. Right. Uh, But let's talk about the last table, which is it's doubly composed, right? It's the only table that's actually divided. With a mystery person. With a mystery guest. And the first person is the super fan Right. The Punisher, the uh, I think I could do it if I just tried. So that guy, when it comes to comedy, I'd say there was like the boom of podcasts, maybe after Mark Maron. Yeah. And uh, the boom of inside baseball comedy podcasting. Yeah. So after inside baseball comedy podcasts where comedians interviewed each other about like um, the inner workings of the scene, I would have like normies. Just people coming up and being like, oh, that's the act out. Oh, that's the twist. Oh, uh, so Lauren's the guy that auditions everybody at SNL. Oh, so uh, Mitzi is comedy store. Yeah, and, and you have people, to have sex with her. Oh, yeah, and these people <laughs> who are not like initiated yeah. into the inner workings of the world now have a language with which they can talk about it. And I'd mm-hmm. say the same thing maybe happened with wrestling. Because yeah. you have like wrestling fans that are... Kayfabe became this big thing that we talked about. Dude, I have foodie friends. Foodie friends are like this. Um, I think this was a good representation of them where they are like, oh, I read about this cooking technique or this this equipment thing that if you are like on the cutting edge of molecular gastronomy, then you have this thing that turns fucking spices into foam or whatever the fuck. And I'm like, that's crazy shit. And so he, this character of the fan very much enters this space using the language of trying to be like, I'm one of you. I know more than the average fan. I appreciate everything you do, which is something I see happen in comedy a lot. Maybe even was a person that I was, but like, I didn't, I didn't ever try to approach anyone, <laughs> you know, like I was just there a lot. Yeah. Dude. And then 
the artists approached me because they were like, that's weird. Why are you here all the time? <laughs> sure. And this, again, is yeah. not to negate the idea that uh, being a fan is good. But yeah. it is. But this is being a Punisher. Table. Yeah. He, 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 the Punisher talks to you with assumed familiarity and uh, breaks down all the barriers. Yeah. And that's what this kid is doing. Absolutely. Is that he is using the language of, of the yeah. kitchen and feels like he has a special relationship with the chef that is cloying, yeah. annoying, um, every time the chef is trying to uh, present his own uh, when, vision, when he's, he's his own art, his vision, yeah. This little weirdo is like, so did you put bergamot in the tea? I might no, bergamot? and he's, he's like, like ah. he's like uh, mansplaining to the to his date the shit that the chef like. If you shut the fuck up, the chef is saying that you know, like no, it's like when somebody yeah. talks to me during a movie, or when they try to the- explain the joke, <laughs> they're like, oh, oh, I do it. Oh my god, I, do, I guess maybe I do it. I don't know. Hold on, do we, we gotta, see ourselves in these characters a little bit? A little I'm bit. So, I'm so sorry. Oh, the fan Yo, character, Leguizamo, absolutely. I love you, baby. No, see, okay. <laughs> So that's you, maybe you. <laughs> you maybe identify with the artist that's having fun doing it. Yeah. yeah. Like, hey, man. You know, it was a fun I'm day. having a great time. Yeah. yeah I was in the bath. Hey. Yeah. I made a. I made a an Xfinity commercial. I just soaked in a bathtub the whole day. Gabe, no I hadn't even realized that. That's why I love you. Oh my god, that's beautiful. Uh, so I do definitely identify with the fan, though. I don't think I'm a Punisher, but I identify with that whole like I know the language. I. I'm. I'm. I know more than the average fan. You should see my opinion is more important. But let's pause here and go back because I missed one because the other one was the Judith Light table and her husband. Remember? So can we talk uh, for before we even talk yeah. about the, that table? Let's talk about Judith Light. Okay. Okay. Because people need to know her from the Tony Danza opus. Yeah. That great TV show. Who's the boss? Who's the boss with mm-hmm. Mona. And Mona uh, was one of those characters who played Judith Light's mom. Yeah. And is this divorced woman living alone? Dude, I was alone. like 14 and I thought they were both so hot. And uh, why, <laughs> like during the 80s, this trope of like, of uh, of sexy older women, mm-hmm. like Blanche from Golden Girls and Mona yeah. from Who's the Boss. Yeah. And Judith Light looked older in Who's the Boss in then my memory Mona. than she looks uh, yeah. now. Oh, and she Mona. did. Yeah. Judith Light, I can't believe that this is like 30, 40 years later almost. Yeah. And she is. Well, you know, it. the 80s aesthetic also made women look older. Mm-hmm. Because of that poofed out hair and was shit. she like twenty, but already looked yeah. forty-five. Yeah, and- I think that's what it was. But I mean, whatever. We don't have to talk about Gabe's jerk off fantasies about Judith Light. We're gonna go back to the movie. But can the we? Menu. Okay, oh, last okay. <laughs> you're like, thing. no, wait. Let's go back. No, to my we're not. I'm no. not off the Judith Light. <laughs> okay, go. Okay, because um, she's actually also a role model for this whole solo poly lifestyle <gasps> because. True. She, um, there is an article out and she's been married to her husband for 35 years and they asked her, what's the secret of her marriage? She's like, we live apart. (laughs) 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 Thank you, queen. They live live bi-coastally and they just hang out a couple months every year and then they fly away yeah they live in separate cities and just live their lives is this why you're going on tour gabe oh no no i love it get the fuck out of here shout out out to my grandma georgia but she once said uh absence makes the heart grow fonder it's and when i was younger did she make that up did she make that up gabe you know what probably (laughs) i don't think she did um, but i'll tell you what man i think about it more and it makes more sense every day absence makes the heart grow fonder well Whatever, we're not going to get into that because you know what? We have to do a whole separate episode about heat. Will you come back to do a Why You Mad About Heat? I'd love to. Because I'm mad about heat. Yeah, okay. We got to talk about it. But that's got to be separate. Right now, let's finish these table conversations about the menu. Okay, Judith and her husband. Judith and her husband. So in the movie The Menu, the fifth or sixth table or whatever is Judith Light and her husband who are like basically like an older rich couple. And they're the reason that the chef is mad at them is that they have been to this restaurant, which we have previously explained to you is extremely difficult to get into, very expensive, uh, $1, luxury, $1,200 a, $1, a plate, a luxury. And the chef literally says most people consider themselves so lucky to even come here once. How many times have you been here? And he asks them directly, and they don't know the answer. And so he tells them, you've been here 11 times, okay? That's fucking 
more than ten thousand dollars each. I'm not good at math. Twenty thousand dollars. Twenty. It's more than. It's close to thirty thousand dollars that they've spent at this restaurant. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he says, eh, "You've been here eleven times. Can you name one dish that you've eaten here the last time, the time before that, any time?" And literally, not one of them, neither one of them, can name the dish. And before we get to this like uh, questioning portion. They're sitting at dinner eating these very expensive, wonderful dishes, having the worst small talk to connect it back to Colin Quinn's show, where the wife, Judith Leigh, will be like, oh, I ran into Barry or whatever at the club. And then the husband's like, oh, okay, how's he doing? And she's like, oh, the same. (laughs) And then they're like, yeah, so they're they're mummies, mummies, they're zombies walking through life. (laughs) No matter how much money they have, they're not actually enjoying anything that they do or that they consume. And the artist who's producing this wonderful, rare art for them is furious that you don't even appreciate what you have in front of you. So that's why they're on the fucking uh, wall ready to die, right? Do you have something to say about them before we go back yeah. to the artists? Well, both them and the tech bros. Yeah. Uh, what those two groups specifically do is that by gentrifying this art, this food, by buying it and putting a high premium on it, it uh, rarefies his food so that it's inaccessible to everyone else. Exactly. And when, to people who might actually appreciate it. Yeah. When rich people yeah. come and... and so, and this, like, happened at the MoMA, too. Yeah. Okay, so, like, there are instances at the MoMA where, yeah. um, you know, there would be, like, a group of kids on a tour. This is not the same, but it's similar. There's, like, a group of kids, and they're on a field trip, like, poor, poor kids, like, public school kids. And they're yeah. on a field trip, and they're going through, like, to go see the, and then they, they want to see the Frida Kahlo, right? And and there's a tour, and it's young see Starry people Night. <laughs> can see it. But, but yeah. for them, it's like they've never read about it in a book they don't know what it what it is and then wealthy people will come and like uh elbow them out of the way yeah to see it and um so it's not exactly the same but it is this idea of like well wealthy people get the private tour yeah and they get the um they before the museum opens closed hours showings they make it they put a premium on these things that should be accessible to everyone yeah Right. And uh, and so the chef is now imprisoned in that he cannot um, actually share his art with the with the world. Yeah. Because these zombies that can pay twelve hundred dollars yeah. a plate to elbow people out of the way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then when they get there, they don't even enjoy it. They just wanted the selfie in front of the. Yeah. In front of the masterpiece. Yeah. So let's go back to the fan table because he also was into the selfies. He was into the photographing the food, right? So Uh everything was about him being able to show off this experience. And one of the conflicts in the movie is that his dinner partner is someone that was not expected by the staff because he was originally supposed to go there with someone else. And then in the movie, throughout the movie, we learned that the woman he originally was supposed to go with was his ex-girlfriend who broke up with him. But because he's a foodie super fan who paid a bunch of money to go to this, he got a sex worker to come with him to dinner because there is no, uh, there are no solo tables. So uh, alert here. Also, this is a nice point where it was a solo solidarity moment. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, I'm only going to murder couples. Yeah. Well, no. And it's, I think it was a solo solidarity moment because of the opposite, which is like, you should also be open to murdering solos. Why wouldn't you let an asshole like me who just wants to pay $1,200 to eat by herself <laughs> yeah. at your fucking thing? Maybe there's a reason to hate me. I don't know. Um, but so basically he says, because the chef is like, Oof, it's hard it's hard to explain because it's Anna Taylor Joy is the character is the person playing the character but she basically the chef is like you don't seem like one of them right i he don't can know smell yeah he can she's smell a it different. yeah and he's like Something's you're not off. one of the ones that i plan to be here to die in this shit mm-hmm. and you don't seem like you're one of them who deserves to die for this art his spidey sense was tingling yeah something in the milk wasn't clean Exactly. But he says to her, you need to decide, do you sit with them 
or do you sit with us? With the givers or the takers? With the givers or the takers. And by that, he meant the service industry or the customers, right? Which I think is also like, I almost wish Jake was here for this part because it's like, I think it's a very poignant movie about service work, right? About yeah. how service workers are putting their entire selves out there for people. Like when we say la emotional labor, we're talking about service workers who have to put on a happy face no matter what's happen happening in their life so that they can get the tip they need to get. Yeah, you know? I, this movie's worth a rewatch. Absolutely, it's fantastic. Every line, yeah, uh, is every Loaded. line makes sense in one way. Yeah, but um, anytime you have a question that's raised in your head about it, mm -hmm. and this is why it felt like um, a murder mystery, even mm -hmm. though it wasn't, because every line is a. Clue. Well, we had to figure out what was happening, and once you figure out what yeah. happens, because it is a mystery. Yeah. Once you figure out her identity. Yeah. And the intentions of the chef. Yeah. A rewatch will let you watch it and experience it more richly. Because you can get all the clues. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we already spoiled it for you, but spoiler alert in retro, whatever. Uh, so the reason his spidey sense were up was because he recognized that she was like them, the kitchen staff, in that she was a service worker. She lives to provide an experience to other people. Yeah. Right. And he even asks her directly, do you enjoy what you do? And she says, I used to. Right. So it's this like they're pointing us to the fact that like all of you who are service workers who perform who perform an experience for the rest of us. You did enjoy it at some point. That's why you came to it. Yeah, she loved it. She had a little, yeah. she got a thrill, a rush. So did the chef, mm -hmm. right? And then at some point, something makes you sad about it. Capitalism. But, <laughs> but also. Message. Yeah, <laughs> message. We need, yeah, we need exactly. uh, Keenan Ivory Wayans from, I, I'm going to get you sucker to just exactly. show up and be message. like. Message. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, is the message always the same? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, you know, it. The fact that she's the only one that survives at the end tells you that that is the message of the movie, that the only good character in this was literally a sex worker mm -hmm. because she had no other intent than to provide a good experience for other people who compensated her well for that. And yet people kept fucking her over for that. The guy we learn who brings her on this dinner knew that they were all going to die at the end. And he still hired a sex worker to go with him so he wouldn't be alone at the dinner knowing she would die. So that's when the chef is like, oh, you're just like us where they're willing to let you die. They're willing to let you crumble on the inside. Yeah. And be destroyed on the outside as long as they get their experience. That's why you're one of us and you get to survive. Disposable. So in conclusion, <laughs> I think it's like just like an excellent pairing accidentally that we landed on with Colin and the menu. Because Colin gave us like the the actual Michelin star menu that is acceptable and likable for the critics, for the fans. For the diehards, for the people who just have money and want the Instagram with post. options. If with you have options. an allergy, yes. if you're gluten, you want to substitute something. Yeah. yeah, he's the one giving you the likable menu, and the menu was about all of those artists who turn on the room and they're like, "You did not fucking correctly appreciate my fucking art that I gave my goddamn soul and heart for." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, and um, it, it is a tanky movie. At least the and I loved the, it. the chef yeah. Ralph Fiennes is a tanky. As am I, which is why five stars. Love day, highly stars. recommend. And uh, <laughs> one of my favorite Colin jokes um, is that he brought up that on the on the right, everybody feels like they. Um, the right seems like fun. It was so good. This is a good. I've never bit. felt so seen. I'm paraphrasing. A uh, yes, bit, no, you can do it. Sorry, go. He, so he started off with like a oh, the right and the left, they're both crazy and uh, both wacky. And 
we were both rolling our eyes, being like, "Oh, this is gonna be like a lib." Like, oh, I was right so joke. ready to be insulted. And yeah, he's like, on the right, you, you, uh, everybody looks like they're uh, at at a Trump rally. They were like, they look like they're having fun. And they look like they're at a what's the Margaritaville guy? Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, they look like they're at a Jimmy Buffett concert. They're all uh, rosy and chubby and drunk. <laughs> <laughs> It's like shit. They do look like that. Yeah. And, and then like, the second one was but on the on the on the left. He's like, they're all like the Manson family, and they're all like, you know, oh, peace, we want peace, love, love. And happiness. And as soon as anything is not the way I like it, off with their heads. The pigs. The pigs. <laughs> and I'm like, and I yeah. Like, I feel seen. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh shit, that is me. Yeah, I, I am be upset. Yeah. At your left. Uh, at your generalizations yeah, about the like, left. Yeah, you're right. Peace, love, unity, respect. Until I don't like it, and then, and then fucking, fucking kill, kill the cat, pigs, baby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, this is all a parody. Everybody, relax. <laughs> hey, man. So, uh, look. but honestly, we got to do a heat episode. Maybe when you get back from January with whatever is going on in your life. Uh, I would love that. I would love that. So you know, um, I will constantly post photos and videos, and and everybody's going to be able we'll to stay in touch. On. Yeah. So let's do some plugs then. What are you going to plug? All right, everybody, just follow me on Instagram at GabePack1 to get my tour dates. Also, please subscribe to Halal Cartels and give us five stars and um, listen to us next time. And it'll be me and Samir, and we're going to have more guests. And I just really want to thank the best. I'm such a fan of (laughs) YMAT. By the way, I'm such a fan. And I'm a big so, fan of Halal Cartels. Yeah. So uh, yeah. honestly, I met you be, like really um, because I listened to Why You Mad. So so sometimes being a fan Punisher works out, you guys. <laughs> don't don't listen to our many reviews. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes you end up loving that fucking Punisher. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah. That's right. Uh, sometimes the Punisher doesn't lose. Yeah, sometimes they win. Be a Punisher, friends. <laughs> so my plugs are, um, yeah, no, if you're in the West Coast, go check out Gabe. He's wonderful and hilarious. You will love him. Um, and for myself, on the East Coast, I am running Gary Goldman's show, which is twice a month now in 2023. So if Manhattan is more convenient to you, we're doing um, Caveat at the beginning of the month, every month. And then we're doing Union Hall the last Wednesday of the month, I believe, or whatever. I don't know. Check it out. Check out my calendar on Luisa Diaz Nuts on Twitter. It is private, as Gabe said, but it's whatever. I'm figuring something out there. And then on Instagram, I'm also Luisa Diaz Nuts. Very easy. And then uh, pretty soon I'm also going to be booking a show in Brooklyn at Union Pool. Oh, so this will be a good announcement um uh the show's called windbreaker windbreaker to, to jump in and yeah we, uh we saw a really great show uh this weekend we went and we saw yeah. what is it's emily panic and claire o'kane and claire o'kane yeah they and host and they run it and they're awesome great lineups uh fantastic venue good tacos they have great queso even people from texas like it tortillas deliciosas, deliciosas. <laughs> that's gonna be the hashtag for this show uh that is, I want to say, like the second Sunday of the month in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. So check me out or Claire O'Kane or Emily Panic for information on that. And uh, yeah, just check out what you mad. We're, um, I know we've been a little bit bad in the last few months, but we're working it out. We'll have more guests for you. And then also when Jake is back, we will do regular old why you mad episodes yeah i'm gonna jump in right now and say go to funhouse comedy every wednesday at yeah you forgot funhouse you bitch and it's free <laughs> <laughs> es gratis es gratis <laughs> at funhouse comedy 10 p.m and uh great it's lineups be as well or samir every time hosting we co-host we have no cover it's awesome and like Louisa said who used to be like a big booker books things now she's telling you the show's awesome he said used to be oh my god (laughs) i had some dude on twitter call me what is it like a crusty old booker and i was like (laughs) hilarious i feel like i should change my fucking twitter name to crusty old booker i love that Ah! crusty the clown i love it (laughs) all right whatever bye (laughs) peace